You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now because we were in Titus, where we have the great statements of grace and salvation by Paul, and last week it said, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, slaving after diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior towards man appeared, there was an epiphany, a revealing of the kindness of God, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And you know, the next section, we'll get there, the Lord tarries next week on troublemakers in the church. Uh, we will get there. But thinking about the kindness of God and the fact that he made us heirs and the remarkable hope that we have because of what he's done. All week I was thinking about Mephibosheth, which is one of my favorite snapshots in the Old Testament of God's grace and of his kindness uh, and it, 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 you know, obviously, as we go through the chapter, it's, there, there's no coincidence the way these things fall out here in this ninth chapter of Second Samuel. So it says, as we jump in, and David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul? that I might show him, here it is right off the bat, kindness for Jonathan's sake. David, at this point in time, it starts with and, a conjunction, because the chapter before tells us about all of his troops, all of his men, Joab, Abishai, you know, um, Benaiah, the, the, Abiath, the priest, everybody's in line, everything's set. He has put all of his enemies to flight. David, at this point in time, is reigning over 60,000 square miles. It's the largest the kingdom ever was. A few chapters before this, he brings the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem. Everything's in place. The worship's there that should be there. The enemies are subdued. The kingdom, God's blessing is there in incredible ways and is spread over everything. And as David sits and looks now on his throne, there's nobody left to whoop. You know, uh, the, the God's blessing is there. The art, and, and he begins to think of Jonathan, his mentor. I think sometimes we think of Jonathan as David's friend, and he was that. But Jonathan, uh, Jonathan was 20 years old, we know, when he went up to the camp of the Philistines with his servant and said, look, let's go up. Who knows you know, what God might do? He doesn't, he doesn't have victory by few or many. You know, it's, it's the power of the Lord. He was 20 years old when he did that. David was born eight years after that. 
when Jonathan was 28 years old. David slaughters Goliath in his early 20s. And by then, Jonathan is at least 55 years old. And when David then brings the head of Goliath and the Saul said, you know, he's just young, 22-year-old, whatever, schlepping this head around, you know, and he's got the sword of Goliath and he just, and, and it says, Saul says, whose kid is this? And he should have known he'd been playing the harp for him. That's Jesse's son. And it says, Jonathan looked on him and Jonathan loved David as his own soul that they were knit together. Even though David was early 20s, Jonathan's about 55 years old at this point in time. Because as he looked at David, he said, I remember when I went up to the camp of the Philistines with my servant. I remember when I was young and energetic and trusted God and great things happened. He said, this is a kid. I, I know this stuff. I know what's cooking in him. It reminds me of, of those days, and he loved David. He was knit to him. Within two years of that, of course, Saul is trying to kill David, constantly jealous of him, throwing the javelin at him, evil spirits involved. So Jonathan says to David, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help spare your life. If my father intends good to you, this is what I'm going to do. If he intends evil for you, David, then this is what I'm going to do. He says, but you, thou shalt not only, while I live, show me the kindness of the Lord, that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off all of your enemies before you, every one of them from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again, because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So no doubt now, David is sitting all is subdued and he's thinking i wish jonathan could see this jonathan was the greatest king israel never had you know he was heir apparent he was saul's son and yet he didn't begrudge the throne to david he knew that that was god's plan he yielded to it he didn't strive against it he just said this david he said you're going to take it the throne's going to be yours you're going to destroy all of your enemies and when the day comes that everyone subdued before you, I want you to make me a covenant that you'll be kind to my house, my progeny, anybody that's left of my family. And David made a covenant. So now here's David, seated on the throne. All of it has become a reality, and he's thinking, oh, I wish Jonathan was here, his mentor, his older friend. And he puts out the question, is there any yet alive of the house of Saul, of his lineage, that I might show kindness to him for Jonathan's, notice, for Jonathan's sake. And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, notice, 
that I might show the kindness of God. Titus tells us that's what has been displayed in Christ, that I might show him the kindness of God unto him. And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame in his feet. Ziba hadn't come forward with that information before. Ziba, I don't even know if this is Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. I don't even know if he even knew where Ziba lived, although Ziba had a responsibility towards him. But when you stand face to face with the king, and the king says, anybody left of Saul's lineage, he tells the truth. Yeah, the, the, Jonathan has yet one son, Mephibosheth. He is lame in his feet. We're told in... Second Samuel, you don't have to turn, chapter 4, it says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse, or his caretaker, took him up and fled. And it came to pass, as she made haste to flee, that he fell. And he became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. So uh, this is the surviving family of Saul and David. This little boy was five years old. He was born when Jonathan was 53 years old. Jonathan is now killed on Mount Gilboa. Word comes and little Mephibosheth, five years old, must hear crying. He's in the palace in Jerusalem. Saul's grandfather is the, is, is the king. Jonathan's the heir apparent. And he hears this big ruckus. He hears crying. And then all of a sudden he hears, Daddy's dead, honey. Grandpa's dead. All your uncles are dead. Five years old. The home is dissolved. It's broken. Many of you here today, broken homes, pain in that regards in your life. How do you reconcile that with a loving God? His caretaker does not know about the covenant that David and Jonathan made. So when she hears that, she says, honey, we got to get out of town. You're the heir apparent. David's coming to power you're going to get slaughtered. So she takes this young boy and starts to run and evidently trips and he falls. He's crippled through that fall. We don't know if it's a spinal injury or if both legs are shattered. Whatever it is, you imagine the pain this young boy is experiencing this day inwardly and outwardly. And when, he, when, his, when his legs are shattered, she can't call, she doesn't call 911. You know, the, the, the paramedics don't show up. She has to grab him and continue to run. And it's at least two days jostling him to get over to Lodabar, which is on the other side of the Jordan River in Gilead, north of the Jabbok River, far away from Jerusalem. So you can imagine this young boy, Impressions, five years old, Daddy's dead. I wanted to be an archer like Daddy. Grandpa's dead. He was taller. I wanted to be tall like Grandpa. I wanted to be a warrior, and now he's just in agony. You know, you know. We don't know what took place in the healing process, and now he's in Lodabar. We're going to find out. 
15 years. He's 20 years old at this point in time. And what he's heard from his caretaker is David will kill you. This is the way the king is. The king doesn't care about you. You're a threat to his reputation. He don't want anything to do with you. This is who the king is. This is in Lodabar, which means without pasture. Can't be coincidence. And how many of us, like that, were someplace away from the king, being told the king, the Lord, doesn't care about us? He don't care about you. Why would you be crippled if he cared about you? Why would you be, you know, fleeing if he cared about you? Why would, every, why would you come from a broken home, broken family, everybody's dead around? Why, if he cared about you, why would these things be going on in your life? And so many of us stood at a great distance, and we believed all of that because we heard it from every other direction. So we lived in Lodabar. We lived without pasture. We tried to feed on drugs. We tried to feed on alcohol. We tried to feed on power. We tried to feed on strength. We tried to feed on sexual things. We tried to feed on this world. And, and we're always coming up empty. One, the only thing that's going to satisfy us is the king, but we are told this is the way the king is. Unsaved people here, this is the way God is. He doesn't care about you. Doesn't think about you. And people say, well, if there's a God in heaven, I don't want nothing. Look at all the suffering around us. Look at all the evil. Look at everything that goes on the planet. I don't want nothing to do. If he's there, no thanks. I didn't want anything to do with him. And no doubt he had grown up with that kind of ingrained in his thinking and in his mind. He says, yeah, Jonathan has yet one son who's lame in his feet. And the king said, verse 4, unto him, well, where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, or consider this, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel. Maker means to be sold. Amiel means the people of God. Beautiful picture of the people of God being sold, as it were, into this, being injured through a fall. I mean, all the pictures, are, all the shades are here. And living without pasture, you know, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. And it says in verse 5, Then King David, notice, sent and fetched. That's kind of like a Beverly Hillbillies word. You don't expect that in there. He sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. So David sends. It's always the king that initiates. He fetches you know, we're, Mephibosheth means a shameful thing. You know, he's injured by a fall, you know, Adam in the garden. He, he has nothing in and of himself. He's left crippled and lame, can't walk, can't do anything. He's living in a place where there's no fulfillment. He can't do anything to fulfill himself. And the only thing that can change that is something that the king does. And the king sends to fetch him. Now, this is Lodabar. It means no pasture. This is a whistle stop. Nobody wants to live there. You can't even graze sheep there. Why would you want to live there? And one morning, 20 years old, he's hearing noise, voices, something's rustling that's different for a small town. And somebody says there's soldiers here from the king. Somebody might have said, Joab. You said, Joab, your hair stood up. Joab and Benaiah are here. The king's special guard. They're looking for you. And he's thinking, my name is Mud. 
And you can imagine the conversation as the house was surrounded with the royal guard. And the officers come in. The king is calling for you. He's summoning you. He wants you. Well, let me get some clothes. You're not going to need clothes. You're probably thinking, well, I guess if he cuts my head off, I'm not going to need clothes. You know, just, no, you just come right now. You don't have to worry about any of that. You're not going to need that. And it says they fetched him. He couldn't walk, so they carried him all of those miles back to Jerusalem. They carried him. That's what the Lord did with us. I don't know about you guys, but I can clearly say he fetched me. He found me where I was in no pasture. He invaded my life. I wasn't looking for him. He initiated. He reached out to me. He revealed his kindness. I had a completely different idea of who God was. And he fetched me. He fetched me as he did you. It says here in verse 6, Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant and verse 7 gives us a picture of the kindness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness. Notice this, for, I have that circled, for Jonathan thy father's sake. I will restore thee all of the land of Saul thy father. And notice this, thou shalt eat bread at my table continually and he bowed himself and said what is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as i am so they come in they they bring him in carrying him in before david and when he comes in before david it says he falls on his face it seems that was the first time david saw his face He's an image bearer. David must look at him and think, my goodness, you look like your dad. Oh, my goodness. I see Jonathan all over you. As God would look at us and see Adam all over us. And now, of course, Christ. We are image bearers also. And then that face, he falls upon it, and he's laying there. And like God always does, he speaks to him by name, Mephibosheth. David didn't go, Mephibosheth, I finally got you. People think that's the way God is. I'm sure it was with tears. Mephibosheth. You see Jonathan's face, Mephibosheth. And now David is 48, 49 years old. Mephibosheth is 20. The tables have turned. Now he's to be the mentor to the younger man as Jonathan was to him. Mephibosheth. 
And what God always does first, whether it's Abraham, whether it's Daniel, whether it's John on Patmos, fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Isn't that what he always does? Fear not. Don't be afraid. He said to him, notice, for I will surely, he says, show thee kindness. And look, here's the reason. For Jonathan, thy father's sake, and I will restore all of the land that Saul thy father, Saul thy father, grandfather actually, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. He says, I will surely... There's no doubt. Surely show thee kindness. The reason I'm going to do it is for Jonathan, your father's sake. The reason, Mephibosheth, a shameful thing, that I'm going to show you kindness, I'm surely going to do this, is because of a covenant that was made before you were born. There was a covenant that was made before you were ever born. And because of that covenant, and I'm honoring that covenant, I will surely show thee kindness. I'm going to restore what Adam lost in the garden. I'm going to restore the, the land, everything that Saul had. But more than that, what Adam never had, as it were, you will continually eat bread at my table. He's going to say that four times in the next verses. You will continually eat bread at my table. Look, this is pure grace. The reason, again, the reason the nurse ran is because it was typical for one dynasty to wipe out all the remaining males in the other dynasty so there would be no threat to the throne. She thinks David's going to slaughter him. He's the last one left. That, that, was the, that was the apprehension of their condition, the culture they lived in. And now David is, is doing something completely different than anybody had ever seen because, you know, David had fled from Saul. Saul was trying to kill him. And God preserved David's life to the point where David's in a, in a cave with Saul. God puts his finger on Saul's bladder. Saul goes, whoop, i got to go. And he goes in the cave, and David's in there with a sword and cuts off part of his garment. And then when Saul gets out, he says, Saul, why are you pursuing me? Why would you pursue such a dead dog as I am? Chuck Smith used to tell me, because I would see him be nice to people. I would think, Chuck, why are you? He said, Joe, grace received is grace bestowed. If you really know the grace of God, you can't do anything but extend it to others. If you understand what God had to do in your life, how could you ever begrudge God's grace to anyone else? And David was a recipient of God's grace. He says, you know, there was a covenant, Mephibosheth, you don't have to be afraid, that was made before you were born. And because of that, I'm going to restore, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to sit at my table. Look, You can't deserve grace. Everybody needs to understand that this morning. That's a contradiction. Deserving grace 
is a contradiction. Everybody understand that? You can't deserve it. So some of you don't sit here this morning condemned. Ah, the king's going to kill me when he gets a hold of me. No, he's not. Why? Because a covenant was made before you were born. You're injured through a fall. And God made a covenant before you were born, and because of that, he's going to extend grace to you. But I don't deserve it. There's no such thing as deserve grace. Stop it. You don't deserve it. Get a football jersey with a zero on it. No, <laughs> minus 10. Forget the zero. You know, look, uh, you don't deserve it. Grace is not deserved. Grace is not for the ill-deserving, one of the church fathers said. He said, grace is for the hell-deserving. Grace is not for the ill-deserving, it is for the hell-deserving. When God gives grace, here he says, I will surely. There's no contingencies. There's no stipulations. There's no deal. There's no bargaining. He doesn't say, all right, Fib, you do this, and then I'll do that. You do this, then I'll do my part. There's none of that here. That's not grace. And look, any type of works righteousness, Titus said, not by works of righteousness we have done, because any type of works righteousness is a mockery of the crippled state of human beings, and it is an insult to the grace of God. Anybody who thinks they can be righteous by keeping the law is mocking how crippled human beings really are through the fall. This corruption needs to put on incorruption. This mortal needs to put on immortality. And they are insulting the grace of Almighty God and the price he paid in his son. Freely, he says, I'm going to do this. And he said, you're going to eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, hey, why would you do that for a dead dog like me? Listen, for even you and I, some of us coming out of legalistic backgrounds coming up, and we come to Christ, and like Peter says, we're growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so many times we do that with the Lord. He's our Father. He wants us at his table, and we're saying, I'm a dead dog, I'm a, I'm a jerk, I'm a knucklehead, I'm stupid, how can you do this? You can't, you know, how can you do this? And he says, because I want to show you the kindness of the Lord. It's based on a covenant that was made before you were born. I knew that when I sent and fetched you. I'm not surprised by any of this. And he's bowing himself. You know, we live in a world of self-esteem, all of this nonsense. Anybody who truly comes under the light of the presence of God's love and grace is humbled. It, it, it takes your breath away. Here, here he says, Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son, I like the alls here, all that pertaineth to Saul and all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits of it, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But, second time, Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread, always is the same word, continually, it's used three times here, he shall eat bread continually at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons, we don't know how many daughters, and 20 servants. So everything is lined up. 
God's got it all laid out because this table was set and he knew somebody was coming to the empty seat at his table and to make sure everything would be taken care of, the guy who was going to be taking care of his practical business already had 15 sons and 20 servants. So, oh, God's, God's got it all nailed down. Don't worry, all that's taken care of. And then Ziba, look at verse 11. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, you can guess, he shall eat at my table, changes a little bit this time, as one of the king's sons. As one of the king's sons. That's why it's continuous. As one of the king's sons. He's going to say it one more time. You know, I get the idea here God puts this to the page through the quill of Samuel, I get an idea that God's trying to say something to us about his own heart and his whole process. Yeah, I fetched you. Yeah, I knew you were crippled. Yeah, I knew it was through a fall. Yeah, I know, and I, I made a covenant ahead of time before you were even born knowing all this. Yeah, and I got, and I know you're in load. I know there's no pasture. I hope you're tired of the emptiness. Yeah, yeah and I know I got to fetch you because you can't walk. And I know all that stuff, but really the bottom line is uh, that what I want to know is showing you my kindness and grace. This is, this is the greatest demonstration of it. I just want you to know this. You're going to eat at my table continually. Says the second time. You're going to eat at my table continually. Says the third time, you're going to eat at my table as one of my sons. Says the fourth time, you're going to eat at my table. I got a feeling that the most important thing on the heart of God is dinner. (laughs) Right? The most, he wants you at his table. That's what he wants more than anything else. He wants you at his. He don't want you. He don't want how good you can walk. He doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't want. He's got zebras to take care of that. What he wants is you, not selfishly, at his table. At his table. Just imagine. At his table. Think. Think. What this is saying that he's he's done here for us. It says first of all he's given us life. He spared Mephibosheth. We're told that the wages of sin is death. He's done that. He's done the opposite. He's given us life. He's given us peace. Like Mephibosheth, fear not. Get all that dread out of your heart. You're going to discover who I am. Fear not. He's given us inheritance. What Adam left, he's going to restore in the kingdom age. You know, we come empty-handed. He's going to bless He's given us a portion that we never expected. We are going to eat at his table continually. That's versus Lodibar without pasture. We're in the world. We think all of that was important. We could fill ourselves out there. And then we finally come to him. And he said, no, what you've been looking for all this time is this seat right here at my table. And now you can eat there continually because of a covenant that was made before you were born you don't have to be in Lodi Barn. You don't have to be without pasture anymore. But there's more than that. He says you're going to do it. The privilege is you're going to do it as one of the king's sons. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God. Oh. Imagine. 
imagine. He shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And then it says, And Mephibosheth then had a young son whose name was Micah, Michael, all the same. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. Of course he named his son Micah. Because it means, who is like the Lord? You see, he's sitting there at that table every day, and he has a son. He's got to name him. Who is like the Lord? Imagine the scene every day, the king's palace, dinner. I'm sure you're there, Joab walks in. Everybody's like, whoa, Joab. Benaiah, who would put Joab to death. Benaiah comes in. The priests, the guys that are named, sitting at the table. Then the king's sons. Amnon, the oldest, Chiliab, Absalom, Adonijah, Shephatiah with his own cooking show, <laughs> Ithrium, the king's sons, come in to that table. But the feast doesn't begin. Still an empty seat. One of the king's sons takes a little longer to get there. But he comes. Clop. 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 Mephibosheth is here. Now the feast can begin. Now the feast can begin. The last of the king's sons is here. <laughs> the kindness of the Lord. Imagine the table talk. I mean, how did it start out? Mephibosheth must have said, I, My Majesty the King, he probably said, Call me Dave. He said, I was scared to death of you. I thought you were going to take my life. He must have taken his face and said, you look so much like your dad. He was my mentor. He was my best friend. We made a covenant, Mephibosheth, before you were ever born. I'm so glad because here you are. Here you are. Imagine the conversations that took place. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem because he did eat continually at the king's table. He was lame in both of his feet. All God's children are adopted 
all of us, you know. <clears throat> one of the commentaries I read said, you know, one of the wonderful things about sitting at the king's table is it hid Mephibosheth's legs. One of the other guys I read said, no, when you looked under the table, Spurgeon's legs were crippled, Whitfield's feet were crippled, Chrysostom's feet were crippled, Billy Graham's feet were crippled. When you look under that table in heaven, everybody's Mephibosheth. I thought about that and I thought, well, that wouldn't be heaven. And I think the truth is that you look under that table and everybody's legs are healed. And when you hear, clap, clap, it will be because of the empty seat at the head of the table. And the one who took on human flesh with the nail marks in his feet, who is serving, who has girded himself to serve us, that will be Mephibosheth, as it were. That's what Mephibosheth never experienced at David's table. David never took his crippled legs. And David never served at the table. He ate there as king. We have something that far exceeds that ahead of us. I want you to know something. And forgive me, and I feel bad sometimes saying this, but I'm thankful for my family. Some of you come from broken, abusive homes. I understand that. But my situation is different. And I am thankful for that. And at Thanksgiving, Christmas, I love the holidays, not because I like Christmas presents and not because I like going to, into debt to get Christmas presents. <laughs> I like it because the whole family comes, my kids and their spouses and the grandkids, my mom. I buy a big piece of meat at Christmas and all the carnivores come. And I sit and look around that table, and I think I don't envy any man on this planet. No billionaire, no zillionaire. I am the richest man alive. And I look into their faces, remember the years raising them, takes my breath away. And I think my love for them is so insignificant compared to the love of the one, the Father, who wants to bring us to his table. I think what must be going on in his heart? It's going to be a long table. <laughs> it's going to be a long table. 
But I think if I feel this, and it's just a smidgen, that's why in this chapter, four times, of, of all the things he says, and all the little beautiful little idiosyncrasies and pictures, he says, so he can sit at my table and eat there continually. So he can sit at my table and eat there continually. So he can sit at my table as one of my sons, one of the king's sons. So he can sit at my table and eat there continually. That's what he's bragging in heaven right now. To Gabriel, to Michael, you know, to his Benaiah and Joab. He's, he's up there. They're coming. Set the table. They're coming. My kids are coming. They're going to sit at the table with me, and they're going to eat there continually. Not one of them is going to be crippled. Not one of them is going to be dirty. There's not going to be one stain or one spot on any of them. They're coming. Set the table. Finish the mansions. Get it ready. I can't wait to look in their faces. I can't wait to see them without sin and brokenness and pain and sorrow. I can't wait to sit at the table with them. You got that? Do you have hold of that? Because so many of us, we think something different of God. We, we're in a hard circumstance or there's something and somebody else has filled in some information they should have never given us about him. He's going to fetch us all. He's fetched us once. He's going to fetch us again when the trumpet blows. He's going to fetch us again. And we will sit at the king's table, marriage supper of the Lamb. That's going to be quite a reception. None of us could afford that one. <laughs> and we're all glad we ain't paying for it. <laughs> the father paid for that in the blood of his own son. Ah, Mephibosheth, God's grace, God's kindness in a snapshot, in a picture. You guys, take it with you. Take it with you. Integrate it into your perceptions. Ask God to make it real in your life. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your word, Lord. How we thank you for in different places and in different ways you reflect your grace and your love towards us. In, in stories, in records, in historical scenes, in prophecies in reality lord and in, in pictures of of glory in heaven lord you so often are trying to 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 reach to our hearts in this pilgrimage this crazy world of the things that lie ahead of us lord have us lord strengthen us lord give us fresh vision father let us with broken hearts reach to the lost world around us lord let us, Lord, be both, Lord, those who have received grace and those who then bestow grace, Lord. We might reflect you in these things. We pray, Lord, we look so forward to the King's table. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Joe Foch. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Joe's teaching ministry by visiting ccphilly.org.